Yeah, you know, I I just got off a podcast with uh, Jeffrey Oaks. You follow him, right? I do. Yeah, yeah it was is great. It, is it Oaks or Ochos? Oaks. I can. Ne- yeah. Oh, is it Oaks? Okay, yeah. I can never pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. He's a uh, he's he comes up to Colorado a bit to study with uh, a buddy of mine, um, Tom Bukowski and his wife Kelly, and uh, sh- they bring up a lot of people. They've brought up. Uh, um frankenlegs quite a bit uh leo i yeah and, I, I know who you're talking about leo and who else um i think they've even brought up uh the viking ninja his name uh esk yeah they, yeah. they brought up him e- e- so they've worked with, yeah they've worked with a lot of people doing what? that's great just steel mace you know just different methodologies on how to learn it you know they're pretty cool because you know they are certified as far as uh, the flow goes, but I think each one of them likes a different take on what you can do with the mace, and they respect each people's expertise in the field for the mace. And I think that I think that's a great thing, Fred. I think that's a little bit more of what the mace com- community needs, you know. Yeah. How come you haven't gone to them since they're in your neck of the woods? Well, I've been so busy either working or teaching or training, you know, those kind of things. So. The time schedule just hasn't worked out yet. Um, you know, my podcast has taken off a little bit, uh, Kung Fu Conversations. I'm wearing some swag today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Owen and I are focusing on that quite a bit. We've got interviews going left and right. Um, so we're very excited about that. And that's, you know, taken up a lot of my free time as well as teaching and training. As a matter of fact, I'm on vacation right now. After I hang up with you, I'm going to swing some light. I've got some wooden clubs. I'm going to do some Tai Chi ball. And then I'm going to assemble my wooden dummy and then I'm going to practice on the wooden dummy for a, a couple hours uh, to get ready. I'm teaching an introduction to Wing Chun this Saturday and Sunday, the first weekend in February down in Denver at uh, 5280 Shaolin or Denver Shaolin and Tai Chi. So I'm really looking forward to that. But I always, you know, I've got my notes, you know, how to refine the teaching process. I think that's something that I always look for in a good teacher is um, how they refine the teaching process, you know, the path to mastery, you know, one of my, my Wing Chun teacher says this, Sifu Mayor, he's like, the path to mastery can never be shortened. That arc or that curve, you can't shorten that. But the understanding of what an introduction and a rookie can understand about whatever art or field that you're teaching, that can be either refined or your knowledge or your wording of how you present that knowledge can always be worked on. So I'm always trying to work on how to introduce Wing Chun better and better and better and better. So the students can take that knowledge home and train it one and two, have some grasp of what I'm trying to show them. So I, I don't know, just a lot of good stuff going on over here. So yeah. super busy, but yeah. I am going to make that on the agenda. You know, I, I've worked with uh, Tom a little bit in some Shingy and then, uh, we haven't lifted a whole lot. I'm going to have him show me some kettlebell stuff. But Tom's certified high-level kettlebellist, too. I'm a big fan of that guy. There's a picture of us on my Red Forest boxing page, and I'm five foot five, and Tom's six foot seven, And he's got the big beard, and he's all shredded. And the first thing I ever said to Tom when he was getting out of the car, I'm like, my God, it's like looking in a mirror. And he started laughing. He's like, I thought the same damn thing, kid. <laughs> so we, we've been pretty much buddies ever since then. But yeah. he's just, he's uh, working on his master's right now. And he's got work. And he's got two dogs. And he's got a wife. And he's got his training. So we haven't seen each other in a little bit. But that that's on the agenda is to, to pick on uh, Mr. Tom. That's so. a, a thing. It's like a problem. I, I don't know how to solve it. But people fall into their endeavors, you know, getting their master's degree, get, getting their certifications, uh, work, family, right? And and, you're, and these are all important things, and we all want to better ourselves and everything, but the one thing that seems to get left behind is being able to connect with people, you know. It's, you know, it's harder and, the, and harder. It very much is. You know, you were talking um, – I listened to episode 200 the other day, and you were talking about warrior shit, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, I've got kind of inspired my, by you. Thank you. Thank you. So I, let me tell you how I came up with this whole kind of concept. So I have a sub 
little thing that I'm doing inside of Kung Fu Conversations with Owen. It, I was listening to a podcast called the Musha Shugio podcast, which is a heck of a thing to say. My friend Dean Suter has this podcast. It's out of New Zealand. And he practices an ancient style of Japanese martial arts. It's for battlefield. You know, you've got multiple weapons, the samurai sword. And it's and it, it's less for sport. And it's more for, this is how you cut off somebody's arm. Okay. That kind of stuff. And so the mindset changes. And he had an episode where he was talking about the modern athlete versus the ancient warrior and talking about training apparatuses and mindset and things like that. But it sprung a question in my mind, what are the parallels, not the verses, but the parallels between a modern warrior and an ancient warrior? And one of the things that I, I, I find fascinating is how Hollywood has kind of hijacked the term warrior and basically, we were looking at either Stallone and Conan in the 80s by themselves going against an army. And I think that that is an image that's in our heads that a lot of us need to leave behind and grow out of because it was never real in the first place. It was created by Hollywood. Um, I thought it was real. Uh, right? Right. And so you get Rambo. Rambo. Yeah, sure. Sure, man. I got yeah, the well, knife. I could yeah, do it. Do you have the bow and arrow that you can take down a helicopter with? That's the question. Well, you that's, know, no. that's the question. Yeah, I don't have that. You got You got to work on that, Fred. You got to work on that. I can take down that. a helicopter with a knife with a survival knife, right? Yeah, yeah, just like a can opener, bud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think one of the things that uh, I, I've been looking in and for this concept for a long time, and trying to reevaluate, you know, what that concept means to me as far as a human being. And one of them is to tribe and finding that tribe. And you were talking about not having time and trying to learn how to make time for your right. tribe. And your tribe is a steel mace nation, right? You might not be able to work with them directly, but as long as somebody's picking up a mace somewhere, anywhere in the world, you know, you kind of have a connection to them and them on their journey on what the mace can be to them. So that's pretty cool. And, you know, I, I'm a big Kung Fu geek. I'm walking into my 25th year of training Chinese martial arts. Wow. Which is Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And so. Huge. Any Anytime somebody trains Kung Fu, I, I, you know, I wish them the best. and I love it. And frankly, any style of martial arts. So that's why we came up with our little podcast. We wanted to talk to some people that we thought were very interesting and this happened to be a platform to reach out to them and hopefully, you know, uh, talk about broaden the tribe, broaden their perspective and under, their understanding of what this classical art is. As, and, you know, that's all honestly a lot of what um, the Steel Mace is, isn't it? It's a classical method of training the body to prepare for warfare and combat. What but do you it, mean it, by classical? It's got uh, anything over 100, 100 years for me has some classicalness to it, okay. right? History behind it. You know, you know what, what, what is the, the mace? Not the steel mace. You know, we can thank um, my friend Jake Shannon, who's just down the street, by the way. Uh, he's down. He's about an hour and a half away from me. I'm going to have to meet him, too, at some point. We've both yeah. talked about that, Jake and I. But, you know, what is the steel mace been invented, what, since 2006? 2007 something like so, that yeah so it hasn't been around that long but the gada mm -hmm. in ancient persian india has been around for thousands of years right and so you have a tool that's fixed but the methodology and the training of what that tool can do that gets either passed down by generation or generation or you have somebody that comes along and reinvents the wheel you know whether it be for flow whether it be for athletics whether it be for, you know, rehab and fitness. I know you're going to be working on that here pretty soon, my friend. So, you know, rehab is going to be a part of your journey. Yeah. So how can, how can this metal or wooden or stone tool help to improve our life and our, and our, our journey? Because I honestly think about, you know, the warriorship is not just being on that battlefield, but how do you take care of your tribe? You know, you've got your small tribe, you've got your wife and your daughter. You know, how can you be the best husband, 
how can you be the best father and how can you be, you know, you know, your, your role might change. Something weird might happen at your wife's work. And you're like, okay, I've got to be the friend as well as the husband. So I gotta be, I gotta be the shoulder, you know? So, so those kind of things are, you know, your daughter had some kind of weird, you know, maybe she, she had a bad day testing you're like, okay, how do I be encouraging as a father? You know, so these tools, these training methods, these modalities give us that warrior strength, if you will, um, to give back to our small tribe. And then hopefully we can give back to the bigger tribe. So I don't know, just some thoughts I got going on. Yeah. What do you uh, think? I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's like a, a bunch of you guys, um, martial artists doing podcasts and I've been tapping into a few of them through you because uh, you're either dropping their names or you're um, they're coming on your show. You're going on their show. Um, one of them what I, I checked out recently was um, dirt wasp. Yeah. Yeah. The Colonel. Yeah. Yeah. He's an interesting cat, isn't he? Yeah. I Colonel, Colonel Todd Holsey. Yeah, he started. He started off. He was just cut and dry. Like, hey, this is who I am. <laughs> this is the mm -hmm. way it is. And I was like, all right, this is what I like. Some real peoples. Yeah, the Colonel has a fascinating history. You know, he was actually the first podcast to take on the Warriorship Conversing project that I'm working on, and he did an amazing job. And he was a little nervous because he's like. Okay, Randall, no other podcast has gone gone and done an episode yet. And so I'm like, don't worry. I've given I've left this open-ended. So this 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 whole concept of the warriorship conversing and the hashtag with it is going to be years down the road. As a matter of fact, when we had three or four other podcasts hop on and start doing the warriorship conversing, like walking with the Tengu with my friend Matthew out of uh, Matthew Kruger out of Alaska. Um, he, he actually hopped on with Dean Suter, the gentleman that had the Mushashugio podcast that inspired me to, uh, ask the question of the modern and the classical warrior. And that's what Dean's whole podcast is about is the parallels between the modern and classical warrior. Well, they sat down and they talked for an hour and a half on the concept and they, they cover a huge spectrum and you can find that episode on either one either the Mushu Shugio or the Walking with the Tengu podcast, they both posted that episode up a little bit like I'm hoping to do with this one today. So yeah, they, they go on a long speech on that. And a couple others have done it. I've done a short one. This is hopefully going to be a longer one that I include with it um, because I'd like to pick your brain on warriorship on what it is like to be a fireman. But the Colonel was so inspired by this project that after 20 something years of being with the, the CIA and the military, he's actually going to write a book based upon these podcasts and the topic of what warriorship is and how someone in a civilian world can benefit from some of the uh, training, excuse me, that happens in either a military or a high-risk high situation occupation, right? No. Um, I'm, I'm gonna actually, why, why don't I get into this now? So I'm actually going to, I got brought some books I'm going to mention too. Um, one of the best books I've read in probably 15 or 20 years is uh, The Warrior Within. And it's by a gentleman named DJ Vanis. And DJ is like myself. He's part Native American, but he was part of the Air Force for many years. And he found to be, that the value systems of the Air Force were very much like the tribal upbringing that he uh, he was a part of. And so the Air Force actually asked him and recommissioned him to go to some of the tribes and where the students had high grades, talk them maybe into looking as a career through the Air Force because a lot of the principles and the moral values that they were raised in would be expressed in their service through the Air Force. And he talks a lot about things that I really think that a modern warrior should convey, you know, service to your community, working on a tribe, you know, the preparedness that you talked about and your episode 200, you know, preparedness, but preparedness through awareness. It doesn't have to be fear-based. You're not reaching out with paranoia, 
but you're reaching out to look at the greater environment to see what the tools that you're going to need if something does happen, right? To take care of yourself, take care of the people around you, those kind of things. And it's very practical knowledge. It's, it's fascinating too, because it's one of those books, Fred, that you read and you're like, God, I've always known that. And I've always thought of that, but he said it so much more clear right? and so much more concise. And sometimes that's a great thing is hearing the same thing that you think only said clearer and more concise that, that just, it validates a lot of things. And, and, you know, sometimes it talks about, you know, picking up the arrow and picking up the spear, but also what are the things to know when to put it back down again? And I think that that is, is a big uh, topic as well, you know, we're finally understanding, you know, in the last 20 years, I would say, but I'd say in the last five or 10 years, we're actually acting upon it. You know, our, our warriors that are coming home that are part of our American military with PTSD and how do they deal with that? How did they deal with that trauma? How did they deal with that shock? So he talks a lot about how the tribe uh, has that built in, especially the native tribes have that built in to their structure through ceremonial release. A lot of those ceremonies have multiple meanings. So, you know, intentionally, a lot of them, they, intentionally. Yeah. So you mean uh, the, um, the dancings, the, they, they um, were created for the, the not, a, a, multiple, helping. multiple, multiple purposes. So you were, you were, you were worshiping ancestors you were worshiping the spirits but you were also opening yourself up and making yourself vulnerable and through that vulnerability you had a vessel to release a lot of tension how did and they so, figure that stuff out back then you know what it's amazing you know it, it's amazing you know ancient china didn't know about the nervous system not, yeah. neither did per persia but a lot of these things they didn't know about the fascia you I, know, i'm wondering if if it happened like just instinctually i think so you like know, it just made sense let's do a ceremony like this just and they didn't even think about it they didn't overthink it. it just felt right and it just felt like something that their tribe could use you know it's something that you talked about in episode 200 i'm glad i listened to it recently because i, I can bring some of that to the table you talked about the divorce of what we eat and how we eat and the relationship to walking to a store, finding processed meat that's already been cooked. Or you can eat. Yeah, absolutely. I can go to Sprouts right now and I can go pick up and I probably will because I like that. I like it. I like I like those on my salads. They do the rotisserie chickens. And I'll just debone it and throw it right on my salad. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have to go out. I didn't have my sling with me with a rock in it. I didn't have to hit a turkey in the head. And then right. gut it in the field. Yeah. You know, all those other things. So we have no relationship to the environment around us, the animals that live in it, the plants that grow in it. You know, it, it's it's foreign to us. We li we live we live in a foreign world that is air conditioned. For me, thank God, it's heated, you know, all these other things. And so our nervous system maybe gets one tenth of the use that it was designed for. So if you're only get, getting one-tenth of the stimulus and one-tenth of the use that the overall human system was designed for, how are we supposed to think that we're healthy in any way? I think that's why a lot of the nature retreats, the hunting retreats are coming back into play. Uh, I have a good friend in the martial arts world that his wife was the head, uh, she was the dean of Naropa, which is the only accredited Buddhist college in the world here in Boulder. And they had a very successful master's program in psychiatric care. It was outdoor psychiatric therapy. And so they would do the psychiatric work. You'd take the pills, you'd do all the stuff, but the group would be around the stream or maybe they'd go horseback riding or maybe they'd take a walk in the middle of the Rocky Mountain National Park. And they found that the results were like 86% better when they were outside doing the same therapy because they were out in something natural. Their and, body, their body was healing, and their mind was healing. Yeah, and it, it changed their perspective. That's exactly right. You're just sitting in an office with a doctor, 
and it sounds like office. It smells like office. It smells like a doctor's office. Then you can hear those lights. You can hear the, the lights humming. Yeah, the humming fluorescent lights. Right. And everything's office like you're a sick person in a building. I'm sick. Mm -hmm. My head is sick. I'm on pills. I'm seeing a doctor. But the minute you go outside, even if you're hanging out with that doctor, but they're not going to wear the same clothes. You're not, you're, you're doing something different. You're, you're out there. You know, when I um, go snowboarding, which no more the rest of the winter, because I blew up my shoulder, but um, I'll be back for this reason. And this reason, primarily, I do it with my kid and my wife. And the conversations that I've had with my daughter, nine years old, on the ski lift are completely different than yep. than a conversation we have like when we're sitting at the table or in front of the TV. And I love those conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. My, you know, I actually mentioned this when I, when I was, I think it was episode 150 I was on or, or somewhere back there. But, um, you know, I was raised on the Western slope, 15 miles outside of the Rocky mountain national park. Uh, we had a four-day school week, which is probably why I drive a bus. But, you know, I grew up in a meat hunting culture, meaning that my dad and I were not trophy hunters. As a matter of fact, we didn't even hunt uh, male deer or elk. We were always after cow or doe because we were meat hunters. You know, and what, the meat we put away, we would eat for the winter on or we'd share with friends. We were also small game hunters, which I actually preferred. And, and it's highly illegal, and nobody ever bothered us because it was maybe the early 90s. But um, 40 miles from the house outside of Kremlin, there is an area called uh, the State Bridge. And I had a little single 10, uh, 410 shotgun. My dad had a single shot. Um, he also had a 410 single shot. And we would walk with it open over our shoulders. We had maybe four or five um, shells with us. That was it. We could do it with four or five shells. And we walked along the train tracks and that's where all the wild turkeys would hang out. Oh. And so we'd, we'd walk three or four miles along the train tracks. And like you were talking about with your daughter, you know, my dad was a completely different person than when he was being a professional chef in the restaurant and right. I actually worked for him as a busboy. And to see him under all that stress, like watch it kill him. Yeah. And then we were also, we were also selective cut loggers and it was awesome because we, you know, we'd make these big sandwiches and stuff. He would wake me up god awful early, make me a thermos of cocoa. I would sleep in the truck because it would take an hour to drive to the to the site where we were doing the logging. And then we would get up and we would do this and we'd eat lunch together. And we'd be playing 50s music and we would talk about philosophy and life and life skills and what it is to be a human being on this weird planet. And that's where I got to know my father as a human being and not just as a father. So there is something to be said about taking these retreats, about going camping with the family, because you might find that there's somebody that you never knew and be surprised on who they are in a yeah. good way. Yes. Right. Yeah. You and have to get, get outside of your usual areas that you're always frequenting because you, you start to act uh, almost like you become a character Yes. In your environment yes. that you're you're typically dwelling in. Like, okay, when we're home, I'm dad. I'm you know, but when we're up on the ski slopes and I'm snowboarding next to my daughter, I'm I'm a kid too. So Absolutely. now I I'm joking around differently. I'm I'm letting go of all the BS in life. You know, kids are already good to go. They're not worried about it. they're That's in the exactly moment. yeah. Yeah. But I'm getting more in the moment. So my kids seeing their their father in the moment which is a treat for them man that's got to be good for you too because you know you, you like you said you get to let the mask down you'll get to let yeah. the guard down and you'll always be dad but now you get to show yeah i was a kid too i like to play too i like to have fun too i've got a good dad joke or two you know that i don't get to tell at home that i might tell you on the ski lift so yeah. in that natural environment we get to be who we are, which is natural. And it sounds so obvious, but again, you were, we're talking about getting together with our tribe. Sometimes it's hard to do that. And so we make excuses and we make barriers on why aren't we going out snowboarding? 
Well, you've got a good reason. But why are we we going out camping? Why aren't we taking a family walk through the park? Why aren't we taking a country drive and maybe sit somewhere and eat outside and have a picnic? Whether it's cold or not, who cares? We've got a warm car. We can be cold for a little bit. Let's just sit outside and eat you know, a little bit like that and then hop back into a warm car and go home. Those kind of things are important for the growth of a human being. And those are things that we need to get back to. There's no hippy dippiness about it. There's no woo-woo-ness about it. You know, you were talking about medicine and it's fascinating because I look at it, you know, completely differently. You know, I think we need a little bit of the East and a little bit of the West or a little bit of the West and a little bit of the East, whatever hand you prefer. Because if you look at the different systems, the West will treat you, Fred, when you're sick. Western medicine treats you when you're sick. A lot of the Eastern medicine, they treat you when you're healthy because they want to keep you healthy. Whatever you're doing, they want to add on to it, like a vitamin, if you will, right? Uh, I can't remember who I was listening to the other day. Oh, I, I remember, but they were talking about you know martial arts and like the depth and the breadth of martial arts. It's like if you certain styles specialize in things, right? Like my Wing Chun does. It's a short-range boxing system. It's like the highest grade vitamin C that you could possibly take. But something like Xing Yi works, has a body training method, has a joint training method, has a power training method, has a method of boxing, has a method of kicking, has a method of grappling, has a method of joint locks, has a method of reversals. So it is a martial art also but it covers so much more where it would be like a multivitamin, right? Both of them are good for you. Maybe you're short and deficient on vitamin C, then that's what you need. You need a good vitamin C pill. But to treat the overall human being, you want that multivitamin. Well, Eastern medicine kind of does that. It's showing you, okay, you're, you're good, you're healthy. How do we keep you there? How do we keep you performing optimally or even take a step forward. Right. Right. Yeah. The, so, um, the interesting thing that people say is Western medicine. Uh, it's all about money. They want to keep you sick so they could, uh, you know, keep making money off you, but they can make money off of doing it the other way. Keep keeping you from getting sick. I mean, if you're a healthy person, you're not thinking about, headed to the doctor as frequently, but if there was a system in place where it encouraged healthy people to come in, interview with a doctor, the doctor says, oh, okay, so you're eating this way, you're doing that. Well, look, you know, your blood works great. Um, you're exercising. I don't see anything wrong. We're going to keep you this way because, um, you know, this is going to, this is going to save you money, but you know, you're going to have to come in for checkups frequently and we're going to, you know, do certain things to keep you healthy, which they could bill for. Yes, Maybe they won't uh, make as much, but they could still make a living. That's exactly right. And, you know, you think about it, it, it decreases the overall burden for the taxpayer, if that's how you look at it too, which I think we all should. And then two, you have a healthier aging populace. You know, um, I am super super duper close to my mother. She is, she's pretty much my, you know, my whole world. And she's going to be 73 this year. And Fred, when she turned 70, I watched five years of age add on to her. And then when she turned 71, I watched another five years add on to her. You know, she was part of the generation. It's like, you got to work three jobs. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I think my mother, I will thank my mother till the end of time. You know, I got to play football. I got to be part of the track team for a year. I, I wrestled. Uh, I was part of all the plays, all the extracurricular activities I could possibly do. You know, um, she helped me out through college. She's, you know, my mother is a queen, but she never had a process where she ever took care of herself. You know, she was more into, right. uh, you know, needlepoint or um, ceramics, those, those kind of things. And it just, it wasn't a part of her, you know, her mindset. Right. And now. A lot of those old, older generations never thought about, they always just thought about other people. That's it. God bless them. God bless them for that. 
Yeah, yeah, right. There, we need more of that. I think uh, two, people are too um, selfish nowadays. I think what we're finding though too is, and this and DJ talks a little bit about his, this in his book, and you've mentioned it also that we also have to take care of ourselves to give more. Yeah, to the people that we want to give to. You know, I can help my mother out now, you know, with finances or things like that, because, you know, even though I work an awful schedule with the bus driving, I have a pretty good financial path that if I need to pick up 10 hours of overtime where I'm making close to 50 bucks an hour, I can do that and I can help mom out. You know what I mean? I don't do it all the time, but every once in a while, I, she, she deserves that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't have the drive and the energy to do that unless I had a physical training and a mental and emotional training practice to extend to my tribe, which is my mom, you know? So it's gotta be that balance. It's gotta be that scale. You know, it's, 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 it's a whole thing of, it's never the lone wolf. It's the tribe. Well, sometimes you need to walk away from the tribe, not forever, but just for, you know, a day, an hour or two to recharge your battery to give back to the tribe. And so it's 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 usually never one thing, is it, Fred? Because usually if we get too much this way, if you do too much just for the tribe and you're not a part of it, that's when you you, you shrivel. Yeah. And if it's too much you, well, that's not good enough. You weren't just put on this earth just for yourself. So learning to find that balance, and it's not going to be the same for everybody too. They're going to have to work on it but they're going to have to work on these processes in this path, this, this warriorship path of trying to do better. I was trying to think about, you know, you were talking about what is this warriorship concept and things like that. And I kind of, I kind of tried to come up with something and I wanted to pitch this at you because I, I thought of this, this popped in my head while I was listening to your episode 200 podcast. I think the warriorship concept is taking the primal the primate or the primal, however you want to look at it, maybe less the monkey and more like the primal, you know, the primal could be elemental, you know, it could be animalistic, whatever it may be, you know, um, that ancient warrior, you're taking that and you're forging it into something useful. You're taking that primal fire and you're forging it in a container of usefulness to yourself and to the people around you. Because if it's just open, if that primal is just continually fed and fed and fed, and you don't have a process or a path to help others through that, well, then it's just going to burn you and the others around you. So that is really the magic is taking that primal fire and finding a path, whether it be teaching kettlebell, whether it be teaching mace, whether it be teaching martial arts, whether it be teaching first aid, whether it be teaching, you know, safe drive, find your passion. Find that fire, find what gets you, you know, lit, you know, sweaty, you know, and uh, get out there and share that with the world, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, I, I think that's great. Uh, yeah, because you're, you're, you're getting your energy and your, your power, if, you know, for lack of better words, from a, from that primal place, it's a, it is a, it's a, Friggin' volcano. It's out of it's it's almost out of control, right? Or it is even out of control. It's a pure energy place. So those who harness into it have to do it with discipline. Because like you said, it'll just go out of control. It'll be willy-nilly. It'll hurt you. It'll hurt others. So that's that that fire has has implications, that primal fire, if you will, on everything in our life. It has to do with our emotions, it has to do with our body. If I continually overtrain, I'm never going to have time to recover. So I'm going to break down. That's why the new, you know, the new catchphrases are, are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating the right food? You know, are you resting properly? I'm hearing now more and more that it's not so much what you do for training, but it's how you do recovery afterwards. Yeah. There's the balance. There's the balance. If I'm always thinking about aggression, priming my fire. I am going to hurt the people around me as well as myself. Because if you can't control your aggression or you can't control that anger, then you're going to release it on the people that you wanted to least release it on. 
and the and the pain to you will be losing them and it's unrecoverable no. so we have we have to have discipline and methods and modalities on how to channel this primal fire and put it into a path or a vessel or whatever it is you will to make it useful to the people around you as well as yourself. Yeah. And that that's my big thing with warrior uh, mindset because I'm, I'm looking at our society now and I'm saying, mm, we're in trouble. Yeah. We're in trouble as a, as a people. And what, what can I offer to, as a, as an advice? And my advice is learn how to be a warrior. Even if you don't feel like you're really being a warrior, even if you feel like you're faking it, just learn it. Read the Fake books. it until you make it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I, sure. I mean, because um, unless you're, you're planning on, becoming a monk or, or endeavoring on Bible studies or I, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. You know, what, what can you do right now? That's going to get your frame of mind focused where you are supporting your tribe and therefore supporting the whole society because All right. I, like, I, okay. steel mace, steel mace people were, we're a tribe, Kung Fu people, you're a tribe. But if we're talking to our people with the same message, well, mm -hmm. your tribe is growing and my tribe is growing. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and therefore the whole society is coming up under this that's a, warrior mindset. That's exactly right. And the thing too is this is going to be, you know, maybe controversial, but let, let's get a little controversial here. I don't think that violence has to be the first step into warriorship. No. One of the one and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple. And, I don't and think so one, either. This is one reason I'm on this show because I want to pick your brain on this. Mm -hmm. DJ talks about a lot about communication. Communication with his group, especially when he was with the Air Force. And I would like to know because because what you have you have communication protocols, right? So when you have a fire Fred what are some of the first things that happen? What are the first things that, let's say you guys go through a mock scenario and the fire alarm goes off. This isn't a real fire, it's a mock scenario. If you're teaching your rookie firemen, it's gotta be through communication. So what are some of the key skills of communication that you guys go through? Could, could you share that with us, Thread? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you wanna be clear and concise. That's... The, that's the most important thing because if people don't hear you and they don't know exactly what you mean, then it they're not going to do anything until they understand. To be clear and concise means you have to slow down. You have to speak clearly. You have to actually maybe even stop and think for a second about what you want to say before you actually say it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that's really good for everything, isn't it? Everything, especially if you're talking to your spouse or your kids or yeah. you know, whatever your family. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so it, it it's all the same. This this communication um, understanding, but the the other thing is um, you want to make sure you get their attention. So you don't just say, "Hey, uh, go do this and that." Well, how do you know they're even listening to you right now? Sure. So you want to, you know, look at them. If you're on the radio, uh, then you're going to call them. You're going to wait for them to answer back. Now you know you got their attention. Now you speak clearly, concisely. And then you ask them, you know, you could ask them, do you understand? You know, like same thing with, with your kid, right? Like, do you understand what I'm telling you? Let them repeat it back. Because they might not have gotten it. So you, you say that to, to your crew. Like, hey, do you guys understand the mission? You know, do you guys understand what we need to do? And um, taking that extra second to do that seems like, oh, my God, we got to hurry up. We don't have time for all this niceties and stuff like that. No, this is the time. Make sure 
the, before you go up on a roof where there's fire underneath that that's exactly yeah everybody is on the same page they know what their job is how they're going to do it so does that come into attention to detail like as far as like everything from rolling up the fire hose properly to where you store your gear how clean it is all these other things i think that's another big thing in warriorship is the attention to detail you know swinging a mace let's look let's look at it that way let's look at swinging a mace so i actually did powerlifting a little bit in high school and college and i've paid coaches $500 to work on my squat so that's looking at one lift that i've paid somebody $500 to work on it with and this was back in the late 90s early 2000s so but the thing is is their attention their experience with that lift their experience with human anatomy their experience and understanding how to do things properly and how to teach and adjust somebody that's what i was paying for yeah it's the same it's the same with doing a maze 360 you know somebody that's done it for over a decade but has taught thousands of people is going to refine their teaching process so they're going to have more detail in their communication for these little steps. Do you guys have a this I'm kind of mentioning this but do you guys have a lot of that in your this is how you tie your shoelaces. This is how you put on a backpack. This is how you put on the the tank. Those kind of things. Not it, it I mean that's very militaristic. That's like, you know, the Marines and everything. They're, I mean, they're down to like how you wear your underwear and everything. Sure. Um, no, it's not quite like that with the fire department. The fire department's a little looser than that. Um and I think that's because it's uh, a long career, 25 years. Yeah, there's people that go into the military for that long, but the average people don't actually they know it's like a limited time where they're going to be in this compressed situation where they're told everything they need um, to do. And then, and then they're there for a while too. Yes. We do a 24 hour shift, which um, goes by actually kind of quick when you get used to it, but then we're home with, with our families again and we're home for 72 hours and we're not bringing any kind of authoritative military style talk sure. thinking into the sure. door, right? We're leaving that sure. outside. And we become loosey-goosey again. And you just can't, you know, you can't. And and then the other thing, too, is um, the um, the nature of the job. Yes, it's it could be dangerous, but we're not going into a lot of fire either. So we we tend to have a little bit more slack in our line, if that makes sense. Sure, sure, sure. Although you guys still are out there risking your lives daily. So thank you for that, my friend. Thank you for that. I got it. Okay, I've got a question for you. And then I'm going to share something that's non-warrior-esque, but it might help you guys. Uh, I think I think you might like this. Um, what is something as – how long have you done this, by the way, Fred? What are you in, 15, 17 years of firefighting? I just started my 20th. My God, congratulations, Fred. I, it went by so fast. They they warned me. They said it's going to go by <laughs> fast. I said, yeah, but it's not going to go by that fast. And I'm like, oh, my God, that went by fast. You're gonna have to write the book, man. You've got five more years. So, <laughs> yeah. the book, the the Steel Mace Fireman book, has to be coming up. What is something? And we're gonna call you professional because you, after 20 years, you're a professional at it. As a professional firefighter, let's say I'm a civilian, which I am. What is something that you feel that I could benefit from you, like knowledge as a firefighter? What is what is something that you've learned in the field? you think that everybody should know as a civilian? Well, uh, off the top of my head, I'm sure I could think of a bunch of things. Uh, but off That's the another top- episode. That's another solo cast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Um, but the, um, the one thing I would tell civilians is that they need to be a little bit more considerate, put more consideration into their world around them as far as their safety is concerned that goes with your where you live your car you drive um you know just your whereabouts um because we go to accidents we go to fires we see all sorts of things we another name could be emergency department we go to emergencies we go to building collapses right you know uh, we've gone to where people where ice slides off the roof and hits people on the head. So, you know, you're a homeowner, 
and you're like, well, you know, I don't live a dangerous life. Well, do you have ice on your roof? Sure. You know, uh, what about you? What about your car? Do you have a lot of like weird? Do you have a bunch of maces in your back seat so that when you <laughs> guilty <laughs> when, when you're driving and it, what do you what if you get into a, a roll and those things are spinning around in there like a friggin blender, you know, um, but even look at your house. Things that could possibly hurt you or I mean, what about, you know, your dog getting stuck in a fence and the fire department having to come and open up the fence bars uh, to get the dog out. Like these are, you know, things that people should think about prevent the accident from even happening. Put us out of business. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And that, and, and I think that becomes again, awareness and understanding of your environment. Right. right? It goes right back to what we were just talking about uh, mm -hmm. that society is divorced, disconnected. We're not, you know, paying attention to uh, the natural world around us anymore. We live in this cushy lifestyle. We don't even have to cook our chicken. I mean, what do you got? That's it, man. That's it. That's it. It's crazy. The, the awareness thing for me, that's maybe one of the things that I use directly in my line of work. You know, I am, uh, at least not with work, um, I'm, I'm definitely not a warrior as a bus driver, but I am a public servant. And that's something that the warriorship within book talks about the warrior within by DJ talks about is also learning to be a servant. And I think I've, I've tackled that one pretty good. If and you were going to, if you sure. were going to write a book, um, do you have any ideas for books? I, I ask because I love reading people's work. I read books like you do. And I always say, how do these people write these books? Because they're so fresh and new, but then you kind of also understand that there's nothing new under the sun and warriors have been writing great books for centuries. So is it a, a talent to just present something fresh and new when it's old? But what would you do if you were going to write a book? If I was going to write a book about anything? Yeah, or anything. Just, anything uh, I would probably write about what I know. And that's, that's a big trick. You know, I have a, a minor in writing and uh, English lit degree as well as well as a few other degrees. But, you know, and that's an easy saying, it's a catchphrase on writing what you know. But I have done, like I said, Chinese martial arts for 25 years. Uh, I, I practice three styles. I'm not very good at any of them. Maybe Wing Chun the best since I have my most amount of time in it. Um, but I am a working man practitioner. And so if I was gonna write a book on on anything, it would probably be martial arts and time management. How do you have an extreme schedule and still get legitimate practice in, you know, wow. and how to, how, to, how to do time management? Because, you know, what I'll do is I'll do either months at a time on a certain style, or if I do months at a time on, on the three styles that I do, I'll practice one or two things. Like if I'm going to do Bagua, I'm going to do some Jibin Gong, which is like a hand method that attaches the body and the back. I'm going to do that, like two or three of them for that whole month, just those, high repetition. And then I'm going to do the circle walking, you know, where you walk in a circle one way and then you change your hands and you're walking in the circle the other. So those are going to be the three or four things that I work on in Bagua. With Xing Yi, I'm going to do my standing practice and then I'm going to do one animal and that might be the only thing that I work on for the whole couple months. And then with Wing Chun, right now I'm doing a lot with the long staff or the long pole. And I'm doing a lot with the wooden man. So I'll train that for a few months. I'll, and I'll journal it because I like to journal my practices. That's something that if, if you do martial arts or any kind of physical training, journal your training. I that, just told you I got off of a podcast with Jeffrey Oaks, literally mm -hmm. right right before you. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we talked about that. And he's a bit, he said the same thing. This is so great. This, I mean, uh, to hear from another coach, the same thing. And we talked about uh, the importance of writing things down and journaling and stuff like that. Oh, it's, it's so, it's, you know what you find? Here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the holes in my training. And what I mean by that is it's like, wait, I have this whole other set 
that I haven't touched for two years. I'm going to go back to that and work on it because I haven't worked on it in two years. Can't be that good. And what, what I find fascinating about systems like Wing Chun, when I work on the knives, it actually makes me better at my empty-handed stuff. When I work on the long staff, that actually makes me better at my empty-handed stuff. When I work on the wooden man, that actually makes me better at the footwork for the long pole. When I work on the wooden man, it actually makes me better at the hand-paired movements when I have the knives in my hand. So everything feeds off of itself. So it's not like I'm totally abandoning all the other previous training. That's what's so cool about training like kettlebells, mace, heavy Indian clubs, things so like that. Where does where does mace does mace help you with something else? Yes, yes, yes. As far as like my physical and personal training. So I, I've been saying this a lot when I've been on other podcasts as well as my own podcast. So the thing that I'm fighting these days, and I'm literally fighting this, is uh, sitting. Fred, I, I sit on a long shift 12 hours a day. So when I get out of the bus, I'll walk. Or if it's in a good place where nobody can see me, I'll lock up the bus and I'll go up and down the aisle doing some of my Kung Fu forms. Which is the first podcast that I had you come on. You were going for one of your walks. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And so, you did the podcast, then you were managing your time. That's it. Because I, I was on a split. Yeah. I had a couple hour splits. And so after I hung up with you, I went back to work and drove for four and a half hours. And I had already driven six hours that day. Yeah. So, so any kind of movement I try to get back into my life. The bus driving that I've done for 13 years now is the first job that I've ever had where I am not doing anything physical. And it is the only beef, the only beef that I have with the job. I love driving and I love people and I'm really considerate to my passengers. And that job's only two things, Fred. It's customer service and it's safety. And when I give good customer service, it takes care of everybody in the bus. So then all I have to worry about are the ding-dongs around it. Because that is hard enough. That is hard enough. So what do the kettlebells, what do the mace, and what do the um, heavy Indian clubs do for me? So I think it's similar. Not exactly, but it gets into similar rotations and movements and coiling that the Kung Fu does. But since it's something that's outside of the body, since it's an external object it can maybe get into those areas that when I think about, okay, I'm rotating the wrist here and then I'm rotating the elbow that I can only get so deep into with my mind. But when I have an apparatus or a tool in my hand to move it that much further or that much deeper, that helps me get greater rotation and movement and strength in those ranges. Also, what I realized was for years and years and years, um, I was training traditional Western weightlifting, point A to point B, point A to point B, tricep extension, point A to point B. So I was isolating a muscle group and I wasn't training the whole. And then it was linear movement. What I needed to combat sitting for 10 to 12 hours a day is dynamic movement. And the Shingi and the Bagua have added that for my Kung Fu where the Indian clubs, the mace, and the kettlebell. Yo, Randall. Looks like we lost them. Hey, all right. Well, that was pretty good. So uh, that was Randall Davis, and he's uh, running a podcast called Kung Fu Conversions. And um, if he doesn't make it back on, I'm just going to end the podcast right now. But uh, that was really awesome. Here he is. All right. Well, well, we should wrap it up because we've been at it for a little bit. Anyway, the the weight, the 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 spherical weight training, or the, or you know the dynamic weight training, yeah, has helped helped me uh, in every area of my life, and that's staying mobile and active. Because I'm I'm hoping someday to be a, a you know married and have kids, and I'll be one of those creepy old dads. So I still want to be able to throw ball and catch when I'm in my seventies. Yeah. So, right. That's yeah. the best thing to endeavor for. So that's, 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 a, if you take anything away from this podcast, 
or anybody's health and fitness podcast, it would be uh, you want to be able to live into your old age still kicking the balls out of life. That's it, man. That's it. Okay. I got one last thing, and I'll let you go, Fred. Shoot. Um, so – First off, thank you for your time today. It's great to see you, my friend. Wait, wait, are we? I'm definitely using this as a podcast, but uh, uh-huh. uh, let's just let's just joint podcast it. You can send me the Zoom link if you want. Okay, and I'll just I'll just post it on mine. But if you want to post it on yours, I'm going to send you a cool picture of myself that you can post on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I wanted to talk about some quick books real quick, and then we'll get up to the last thing. So DJ Vanis, The War Within, that's a must-have. They actually have it on audio book too. It's a great book. This gentleman, Gary Kustenberry, he was in the military. He was also a security guard for a prison, like high-level prison. And he's done. he was an air marshal. And he's got a great book out, Spotting Danger Before It Spots You. Great mind stuff. Mindset stuff. This is a hard read, but a brilliant book. The Body Keeps the Score. Uh just remember the name. I can't pronounce Bessel van der Klook correctly because that's how his name's pronounced, I think. Bessel van der Klook. It covers a psychologist that studies trauma victims. And it shows how they keep their trauma in the body, like rape victims and Vietnam vets. It's a hard read, but it's fascinating. It's a fascinating read. And I actually think it goes along with a lot of the Mason Kettlebell stuff that we're doing because we can also learn to release our trauma through those movements, right? And then the last one, it's a local cat. It's a goofy looking book cover. He's a goofy guy. My buddy, Dr. Rick Perea, he is a PhD. He is a performance psychologist, which is a relatively yeah. new new field of psychology. You know what I call it? I call it the Tony Robinson stuff. Yeah. Only, only it's backed with research, you know? So it's it's a little more, than just woo-woo and fluff and feel good. Yeah. Well, his 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 book that he has out is excellent. It's called Decision Point, The Moment Leaders Are Born. And what it's about is it's taking trauma in your life, like something that awful that happens. His story, and he he actually has a lot of stories in there. His story was his brother, when he was 12 years old, who was 18 and just graduating high school, was murdered by his best friend. And so what he did was at that age, he realized, I have to live two lives. I have to live the life that I have, and I have to live a second life for my brother. And so at that point, even as a young man, he chose to use that not as a crutch to hold him down, but as something to lift him up to the next level. So learning how to take horror and trauma in our lives and use that as fuel to fire that primal fire again, that primal yes. burn. How yeah. do you take that and encapsulate that and turn that into something useful for yourself and everybody else around you? That and I sounds think that that's a warrior's path, brother. Yeah, right. That's that sounds like a good book. I might have to actually grab that one. It reminds me of I did uh, have a little PTSD thing going on from. Uh, firefighting from just uh, seeing victims. Let's put it yes. that way. Okay. That's ex- I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. And so it was, uh, I didn't know for a while, but it was bothering me. So I did go see somebody and, you know, basically it was like what you just said. Like the, the guy didn't try to get me to forget about it. That's you're not going to forget about it. And it's always going to be there. It's, it's powerful. So it's, he, he talked to me in a way uh, that made me understand to take that and realize the good there that there's something good out of it and i know that sounds weird no but, and i know what you're saying I, yeah no. but it's you're taking the trauma and you're turning it on its ass and using it uh, you're it's either going to use you or you're going to use it mm-hmm. so that's uh, that's why i want to read that book because that's something um that is really interesting to me. And he's got a podcast. I'll send you some some links to his stuff. Okay. He's a goofball. I think you'll like him, Fred. All right. And uh yeah, maybe I'll if you send me that, I'll put him in the show notes for anybody else who's interested. Sounds good, Fred. Yeah, uh if you'll just hashtag warriorship conversing, you'll be with all the other podcasts that are doing this right now. We've got about five or six of us. I'm gonna use this one as another one of mine. 
And then I'm hoping at some point to actually maybe get DJ Vanis on and talk to him because he's been on a ton of podcasts recently. He's been all over the place. He's the one with the Warrior Within uh, book, and that's actually on uh, audio as well. Right. So you can so you can listen to it that way. Anything else, Fred? That was a good, long, awesome conversation. It was great to see you, my friend. How can people in my audience uh, get in touch with you? Awesome. So as far as the Kung Fu stuff goes, for me personally, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. It's Red Forest Chinese Boxing. Red like the color, forest like the trees. Um, Chinese like the good food and boxing like Muhammad Ali. Red Forest Chinese Boxing. And then our podcast that I'm doing with my Shingi and Bagua instructor is called Kung Fu Conversations. We have a YouTube channel. We're on all, all the links like Spotify, Pocket Cast, Apple Cast, Google Cast, Amazon, all that other stuff. So check out Kung Fu Conversations. You can listen to us there. We're selling awesome T-shirts. Um, we've got all kinds of different things. We've got guests coming out the wazoo. If you're interested in Chinese martial arts or you're just interested in training and how that relates to maybe a martial mindset, it's a great podcast to check out. Kung Fu Conversations on Instagram, on YouTube, on any place you get your uh, your podcast, as well as I have a Facebook page 